We're in the sweltering heat of Beirut for a new episode of the Beirut Banyan, and we're joined by Matthew Kinestin. Matthew is a multimedia journalist for Now Lebanon. We discuss his recent interrogation, wider consequences of intimidation, and what it's like for a reporter to become part of the story covered. Our conversation includes Matthew's character-driven storytelling craft and his personal journey to Lebanon. This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners and viewers like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And to stay updated with video releases, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and thanks for watching. I'm Rani Shatah. This is the Beirut Banyan. You cover stories. Now you're part of the story. And you interviewed me six months ago. Now I'm interviewing you. Mm -hmm. So things come full circle. Yeah. So... Take me down that road with you, your own personal experience as a reporter in Beirut while Lebanon is collapsing and yeah. what it feels like to be part of the story, mm-hmm. even if it's momentary, even if it's a fleeting story, but still you're now part of the story. Mm-hmm. So just your own, your own experience covering and becoming part of this very, very complicated, tragic, difficult moment. Thank you, Ronnie. Well, thank you so much for having me on uh, and for inviting me uh, onto the show. Um, yeah, I've been listening to you since I got here. When you Google or when you search on Spotify for Lebanese podcasts, yours was, was the first one to come up. Oh, then I'm uh, sorry. So, <laughs> no, it's, been a, it's been a pleasure. And yeah, the uh, it was a, a really, uh, yeah, really quite a, a moment, actually. I, I was made aware of your story. Um, as you say, back in February, uh, when I started doing some research into the story that I was working on, which at that point was political assassinations. Uh, and as I do, you know, you kind of Google, you look at images and, and uh, I saw your face. And then I think it must have been about half an hour later, I was walking down Jamezo. Oh, you're kidding. You were, and you were standing outside a cafe and I was like, oh, wow, I'm pretty sure but I think I even had to stop and get my phone out of my pocket and just be like, is that, yeah. And then I must have been looking quite strange because you were there and I was just like, is that, is that, I think, yeah, I think that's him. Just talked to myself. And, you know, I think now that I think about it more, I'm your older, fatter, shorter, oh, uh, doppelganger. Because <laughs> we have similar hair issues. Issues is a Issue, good word yeah. for it, yeah. Uh, I tend to look ajnabi mm-hmm. and you could pass as Muslim Nene. So yeah, it's kind of, I, I like that you approached me without hesitation too. I appreciated what you did. Because you you said, I remember this now, you're, you asked if I am me, and then you were very gentle with the way of wanting to learn more for a story. Mm-hmm. So you, you you didn't intimidate at all. You're actually quite welcoming. Mm-hmm. And I, I appreciate how you, how you let me talk about that story on my terms, which I really, I really liked the way you handled it. But I, I interrupted you. No, no, not at all. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I think, as you say, like my 
focus here in Lebanon hasn't has has been in one sense to follow the the stories, particularly the human stories around the society here as it's crumbling, as the economics, political crises continue to unfold. Um, and obviously, Lotman's tragic story when um, you know the events surrounding his his death when all of that came out um, it it shook me and I felt like I wanted to find out more and I felt I wanted to find out um, how much uh, I guess is yeah the impact the human impact not just on him and his family but also like the uh, more wider than that and how it impacts journalists and how mm. it impacts freedom of speech actors. Um, and so, yeah, as I, I'm very glad that you were happy to, to talk to me. Um, and yeah, but I'll say that that's the only time I saw your name associated with this terrain. Well, exactly. Because I think, you know, I've been in Lebanon 10 months. Mm. Uh, it's a very complicated country, politics, which are incredibly complicated. I, know that coming here I had to learn a lot before writing specifically about politics right to be able to be confident to write about it and to not make a fool of myself yeah so I think writing about that particular group and that particular party was something which actually for the first few months I shied away from because I, I didn't as much as I was reading and I was consuming I didn't feel like I had confidence in my own understanding of the subject to really push out anything of an opinion um, or anything that resembled bias. So I think I was trying to cover, as I said, human stories, as obviously as you've um, mentioned other stories as well to do with like trekking, long distance running, Olympians, yeah. like uh, lots of things which I find interesting. Um, and as you say, the, the unfortunate situation that I found myself in just a couple of days ago was that I didn't go looking to report on this group. I didn't go looking to uh, report on the party. I just found myself in a, in, uh, in with them, not in with them, but in their midst, if you like. And can you shed light on that, just in a, in a general way? Yeah. Do you sense that? I mean, because you're you're in the world of reporting, you know other reporters that have had similar experiences. That this is just it comes with the territory mm -hmm. of being a reporter in Lebanon. Mm -hmm. That there's going to be this type of in intimidation should you want to go to Dahi mm -hmm. or certain areas of South Lebanon, mm -hmm. that it's just, it's a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. That there's no guarantee that you can go without, unfortunately, having to go through their security and their permission, uh, mm -hmm. whether it's their channels and the like. So as much as you can say on that, just that if, should you want to cover a story again there, yeah. that you, unfortunately, you'll either be intimidated again or you'll have to succumb to using their channels mm -hmm. for their type of persuasion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think the it was something that I was made aware of at some point during the time that I've been here. I mm. know, at, at, you know, if being detained uh, isn't an exceptional thing in Lebanon. Many journalists, it's happened to many journalists, um, and certainly the scenario that uh, I experienced was nothing exceptional on top of that. I, you know, it seemed very much like a procedure that went through um, at the point of being detained. The 
just in in terms of how I chose the story in uh, the gas station that had submitted a uh, call out in the morning through the mm. National News Agency requesting military assistance um, because they expected because of the fuel crisis and the fuel shortage that they were gonna you know they were worried of violence on their territory on their on their territory on on their premises so they they called for assistance so looking at Google Maps seeing where the gas station was it didn't click to me that this was somewhere that I needed to be concerned about to be honest right right uh, so it was an oversight if playing by these rules um, and yeah I guess if these are the, the rules of this area I overstepped the mark I didn't make the phone call that I was supposed to make um, but I like the way you said it because you this is not the standard procedure for other parts of the country yeah and it could just be that the gas station if it's on the airport road yeah. It's accessible. It's not a very difficult area to reach. It's the airport road, the mm -hmm. old airport road. So I like the way you're framing it, that you were there to cover a story that's not related to them, mm -hmm. but it becomes about them mm -hmm. simply by being there. Mm -hmm. And is this the first time that you've experienced this kind of intimidation, whether in Lebanon or in general, as a reporter? I don't know much mm -hmm. about your story prior to this, prior to arriving, mm -hmm. but... The reason I ask it in a, in a maybe a silly way is because you're very smooth. You came out okay. You're, you were you, we spoke I think that night or no we we messaged each other that night mm -hmm. and we spoke the next day. I mean obviously you you didn't sleep well, but none of us are sleeping well in this country. Yeah. But you cracked a few jokes. You seem to be in your element. Mm -hmm. So I, I wonder if you've had some experience before, or if you're just you accept this, that this is what it's like to be a reporter in mm -hmm. Lebanon. And it wasn't the end of the world, obviously, but it's, you just sort of bite the bullet and you move on. Mm -hmm. Because I, I appreciate how you handled it. Mm -hmm. I think uh, not many people would be able to keep their cool right away. Mm -hmm. And I, I get the feeling that you did. Um, one of the reasons why I chose this career is, uh, is because I, Feel that I'm generally okay under pressure, um, I'm, and in, in situations which, you know, I'm, I'm certainly like I certainly have reacted to it. I've, I would be lying to you if I would say that there have been moments over the last few days where I've been, um, where it, which has been emotionally difficult. There have been ups and downs, um, you know, fear, paranoia, all that kind of stuff. Um, but certainly at the time during. My interrogation or questioning, um, I felt, I guess, the best tactic for me was to try and de-escalate mm. and mm. just try and get through it. And Stella, my colleague um, or my friend who came with me, um, she's also a fine journalist. Um, you know, I think it probably helped that she was there as well. This is what I was actually going to ask you if it. Because I think it relieves some pressure yeah. just by having that support. Yeah. And that you're also, it's not to be too silly here, but you're also a very tall person. So I think you are by default intimidating when you approach. <laughs> <laughs> but that it's obviously that you have emotional support during a difficult time. Yeah. Um, and I'm really happy that it ended quickly mm -hmm. because I was, well, not just me, many people were trying to share that news quickly 
and it got the attention of enough people quickly, which is just how things are now. Yeah. Within seconds, sometimes a story can sort of take hold. Mm. And it was, I think, by by sunset, sort of, we learned that you were fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm very happy that it ended in a very, in a fairly easy way. And I want to ask: Are you? I mean, this kind of incident, or you mentioned that you've experienced difficult experiences. Uh, does it dissuade you from reporting? Um, so in, in other words, in yeah. a few months, do you still see yourself here? Mm-hmm. Or would it's, you be able to handle these kinds of situations regularly? Yeah, I should, I should hope so. But I understand that obviously it's made to be more cautious. Mm. Um, you know, there have certainly been moments over the last few days where I'm like, maybe I should just stick to sports. Maybe <laughs> I should... I should just yeah stick to writing about incredible athletes and that that's surely not going to be a danger. So I will add you turned down this reco- this was offered the night France not France Germany and the UK were playing Germany England, Germany, England yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and you said sorry I have something better to cover. <laughs> I was like well that's fine. <laughs> well actually the, the beautiful thing was uh, it was the I think it was either the, yeah the night afterwards and uh, Stella she's German and I'm English of oh, course. Oh of course so right. We both we actually both went to the pub Okay, um, and that's where your friendship ended. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. We're not talking. Anymore. You survived yeah. interrogation, but that's yeah, football that's, is something, football else. something yeah. else entirely. Yeah, it's coming <laughs> home. I should say it's coming home. Um, yeah, yeah. So I mean, we were ba- we we're able to go back out and and enjoy ourselves, but other um, yeah. other otherwise, otherwise, I definitely would have been here. Right, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> But, but you're not you're sticking to reporting. I mm-hmm. guess that's that's what I'm getting from you. That this is not going to stop you from doing your job, in general. It's not. It's not going to stop me. But certainly, at the moment, the way that I'm feeling is that it was enough of an experience for me to at least second guess, or at least question, or yeah. at least, um, yeah. And without going into too much detail, there's certainly been moments which hopefully are going to fade out of paranoia um, and fear. And that's not really what anybody should have to experience when they're just doing their job, really. Um, so, speaking about paranoia and fear, mm-hmm. and then there's the world of journalism and re- reporting in Lebanon, and then there's the wider picture of what's happening to this country. And I'll ask it in a big way, but I'd like you to dissect what you want from this question, and it's on your terms. You covered Lukman Slim's assassination. Uh, you covered many things that went wrong in this country since the port blast. Uh, you're working for a an outlet that once existed years ago, now it's back, and its emphasis is on politics, although economics is there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you sense that this is the crux of the issue? As somebody who's recently arrived to Lebanon, that it is impossible to do two things. To reform while there's this huge problem in the country, and it's a security issue, it's a it's a geopolitical story, it's covered every day now. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually the one story that's covered by everyone all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's out in the open. That's a story that nobody's afraid to talk about. Uh, at the same time, there is intimidation and fear when you really want to do more than just mm-hmm. talk mm-hmm. because I mean, you go on Twitter now anytime you just sort of see it second by second that story is being uh, uh, addressed 
But then there's situations like you ended up in where you're not talking about that story, mm-hmm. but you're getting intimidated. And then you have that feeling of fear that may not be that much to get you out of your career, but it could dissuade other people from reporting on this issue itself. Yeah. So I'll, I'll let you take what you want from that question mm-hmm. and, and how you see it in, in the wider story of reporting on Lebanon. Because mm-hmm. I think you could report on everything in this country right now. There's so much happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're lucky the electricity hasn't gone out yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The AC is working, and the, there's no internet because right. this is touch wood. Touch, there's no, yeah, uh, no there's no wood. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, that's gonna go out. Yeah. Now. <laughs> and I don't want to put you on the spot on a question that is perhaps mm-hmm. more sensitive than others, but just that how you see the the wider picture, having been here for almost a year now. If you see this as central to the story, or if you see it as just one of many factors, I see the group's existence as a product, which, or as a result, or is a result of many, many things that are happening. Um, whether you talk about the uh, insistence of it, well, actually, of its existence as a proxy. So obviously foreign funded, foreign backed, and for as long as that's happening, it's going to keep existing and it mm. will keep uh, regenerating and reproducing itself um, using very similar tactics to other groups all around the world who um, recruit young men from uh, disadvantaged communities who don't have other opportunities other than to, to serve a cause which they've been told is the right cause to serve. Mm. Um, so at least psychologically, it's a shared story. In that yeah, sense. yeah, and then, but at the same time, they exist. And from the brief conversation that I had with my uh, detainers, I guess is that the right word? Yeah. Uh, that never heard it said that way, yeah. but it's right. Yeah, yeah detainers. Detainers. Yeah. Um, that for as long as Israel is a threat to them in their minds and to their constituency, I guess if you want to call it constituency, they will keep, you know, it's, it's very clear in their mind that that's, for the people who I spoke to at least, I haven't interviewed a whole cross section of this group, but for as long as Israel exists in, and, and is a threat to them in the way that it currently is, then they can always uh, convince or um, justify their existence in their own head and to the heads of other people as well. And obviously, you know, I wasn't here in 2006. I wasn't here during the occupations. And I, but, you know, with the media that's coming out of south of the border with the current um, Silwan or Sheikh Jarrah and the bombings of Gaza and everything like that, the way that media is shared like right now, it's very easy to take that content and say to someone, this will happen to us. Like, I like that you're reporting when you're being detained. You're yeah. talking about their, you're talking about the story yeah. as a reporter mm-hmm. while you're being yeah. <laughs> interrogated about another story. Yeah. So I like that you're actually, in a way, you're still doing your job mm-hmm. even when you're put to the side of your job. Yeah. yeah so that's yeah. quite telling that you're able to still have that 
well, I wouldn't say sympathetic lens necessarily, but more that you're still doing your job accordingly. Yeah. You're trying to learn as opposed to sort of... Uh, well, that's it. I mean, there's not many opportunities. and Maybe opportunities is the wrong word. I don't know. But <laughs> I don't recommend anyone trying to seek this opportunity. It's pretty tough. But like, there isn't many opportunities where you're sat opposite someone from that group and being like, tell me what you think. Mm-hmm. Um, and for, for me, it was it's just an opportunity to listen and to get an understanding of what the party lines are, what their takes on the party lines are. Um, and it was clear for this person who I was talking to what for them is the main threat. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I can, you know, I was saying this to my friend the other night, and, and again, I don't want to sound as though I'm sympathetic to my captor or anything like that. I'm experiencing some kind of Stockholm syndrome, um, which would definitely be the wrong diagnosis because it wasn't that. But you know, I think that takes months. It takes months exactly. Not, yeah, not, not, hours. not a couple of hours. <laughs> uh, but you know, it was clear from from given what Lebanon has experienced from south of the border, it's not difficult to use that to justify and to keep justifying uh, and I'm not saying it's right and I want to be really clear that I'm not saying it's right um, it's just because obviously there's far more at play than there it's not they're not there's plenty of arguments out there and there's plenty of stuff that's been written by people far more versed than I am far more intelligent than I am to basically say that that's obviously not what this group just purely exists as I mean. sure but I like I mean you're just in a way not uh, without the academic jargon or even without the um there's no research per se yeah. but it's more just it's more on the ground reporting and what you're what you're learning mm-hmm. from from that view yeah which i think is extremely important mm-hmm. and you're you're able to do it still even while you're being detained you're still trying to learn mm-hmm. so I, I actually think that's that's quite admirable that's not easy to do just mm-hmm. to sort of take it one step further beyond the incident where you were detained or beyond your limited time in Lebanon. I'm very curious. I don't get opportunities to ask reporters this other than sort of mm-hmm. being one-on-one on this podcast. What, what took you to the world of reporting to begin mm-hmm. with? And what took you to Lebanon? Okay. And I, I know that there's, Lebanon's always on the news, so I think maybe reporters are drawn to newsworthy stories but you individually didn't have to come mm-hmm. you showed up here after the blast mm-hmm. so what what is it about uh the craft mm-hmm. the storytelling craft and reporting and about lebanon yeah. that is keeping you here while the country's collapsing mm-hmm. i had a few locations in mind uh, but one of the places that i was told would be a good jumping off point certainly to this region was lebanon mm. um and obviously the economic and political situation here before the blast was um, unique at least and looked like it wasn't going to get better anytime soon Uh, and you haven't been here before never been here before Um, I started making contacts with people who were here friends of friends and Mm. calling up NGOs and things like that uh, and trying to reach out to journalists as well using different channels Um, and decided that yeah this was the place I was going to come then the blast happened. Uh, oh, so you had already planned on coming? On yeah. T- oh, I see. I was, so okay. I was actually the the crazy thing was, or the, yeah, I, I mean, using scary is probably uh, 
not the right word to use here given the what happened that day um, but I was literally searching on Twitter for journalists in Lebanon that was or like Lebanese journalists when Beirut started trending and I just thought that was the algorithms giving me something interesting to look at I huh. uh, clicked on it and it was minutes after the first videos started circulating which we've all seen hundreds yeah. of times now um, and it was in that moment actually where um, I was shocked and uh, yeah like we all we all were um, and I actually reason that I probably wasn't prepared for this context, um, for mm -hmm. a crisis situation like this, but the contacts who I'd made in Beirut, in Lebanon, um, in the conversations afterwards actually convinced me that it was a good time to come and that actually journalists, foreign journalists were needed now, or at that point more than before. Um, so I booked a flight and an Airbnb for a couple of weeks I was originally coming on a two-week reporting trip, and I'm still here ten months later. Oh, so oh, I see. At the beginning, it was just covering a certain topic rather than basing yourself in Lebanon. Yeah. So you ended up drawn to this country. Yes, I did. Yeah. Are there any regrets? Ha not just not this incident, not yeah. the interrogation, yeah, not yeah, yeah. the bad stuff that comes with that. Mm. More than just seeing how negative things are. And how difficult it is, I think, for a reporter. Mm -hmm. Because we live here. We meaning all Lebanese are suffering at the moment. Yeah. Anyone in this country is suffering. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're lucky in a way that you can get out whenever you want. You have probably a foreign account. You're not, your money is not locked here. You have another home to go to eventually. Yeah. But you're reporting. And reporting takes its toll. Mm -hmm. I think... The fact that you have to get up every morning and cover something sad and tragic yeah. is psychologically difficult. Yeah. Lebanese or foreign, it doesn't matter. This, yeah. this country can take its toll on anyone. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if, uh, if that maybe makes you sort of, not regret, but more that uh, maybe it's not exactly what you hoped for by, by being here. Yeah, I think it's, it's really important, I think, for journalists who are probably not the best at doing this to keep a tab on their mental well-being on mm. how the story is affecting them or even how the context that they're living in is affecting them because i think we're often driven by deadlines we're driven by yeah. trying to increase our profile and things like that that it's very easy to just burn out um i think i don't regret anything from coming here i've definitely fallen in love with this country um it's I, I know that the situation has affected me. I know that where every time I talk to someone and um, they tell me how difficult it is for them for various reasons, I know it's leaving a mark on me and I know it's leaving a strain. Uh, as you said, I think I've got an immense privilege in that I can leave at any time. Um, and sometimes that is the perspective that you need when mm. you're writing on someone's story or on the situation. Um, yeah, I don't. Yeah, as I said, I don't regret it. I think there's so much which I've learned, and so much which I hugely value, and some incredible friends and incredible contacts, friends and contacts, who I've made. And um, you know, 
I'm certainly not the type of person who can completely disconnect from the context either. So I, I know that whether that would be good for me as a journalist, I know that empathy is something which I have. Mm. Um, but yeah, ultimately that can mean after a bunch of time, a holiday might be needed. I'll say that from the reporting I've read, mm. your reporting, your stories, your, your written word, uh, a lot of your pieces are character driven. Mm-hmm. Their personalities that come out of these stories uh, happened that I was one of these characters in yeah. one story, but it's not, I mean, it's, it's sort of uh, anywhere you go in this country, you're bringing people, you're, you're exposing, I think, a lot of beauty in the process too. It's not just painful baggage. Mm-hmm. I think you Thank make, you. Char- some of your characters really shine. And I love that you took us to Mount Lebanon on that long journey. I thought, if anything, that's how you would go. <laughs> You'll just disappear. We'll never see you again. Just into the mountains. Yeah, but you came back down, went to a gas station, and that's where things mm-hmm. took off. <laughs> but they're character-driven. They're very well-written. And I think it's quite telling that once you get so deep into the story, it somehow becomes part of you. And it becomes, for a few, maybe a few minutes or a few days, whatever, we're learning about your story, so I'm lucky that I can ask you about yourself and uh, get kidnapped again so we can do another episode. <laughs> Definitely not, if I can avoid it. I'll try and find something else to get uh, to, to come back because I'd obviously love to come onto this, onto this show. And it's been, it is a real pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to consider you a friend, to see you from time to time. Hours before this incident happened, we spoke on the sidewalk. Uh, We've run into each other and we've, I mean, I, I like that there's a friendship beyond the, 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 the journalism craft. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also very lucky that you, in a way, unintentionally nudged me to do this in person. Mm-hmm. And the moment you said you had an extra camera with you and that you reminded me that you live next door and that this is easier to do some way in person without everything, the internet and everything happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is the way I should do it from now on. Fantastic. I'm, well, I'm more than happy to offer my services uh, <laughs> should you need, but so, I don't think you need them. I think you're doing it. A- you're hired. Uh, yes, this is it. This is what screw now, Lebanon. <laughs> Wait, don't screw now, Lebanon. Wait, don't what? screw now, <laughs> Lebanon. <laughs> um, and just to say thank you, um, those were some really lovely things that you were just saying about characters and... Um, for me, that's for me. You know, I know we've spoken about politics, and you know, there's always a part of. Often, is there's a part of journalism where you're tying in a character story to a wider political event. But for me, that is the most interesting thing: is the, the characters and the interesting people that you meet, and um, that's what people relate to in stories most. Uh, and I am very grateful for all the people who are happy to talk to me. Um, it's it. I just gathered a very interesting collection in my phone book of people who I now talk to on a very regular basis and that for me is a big, a big part of it as well. It's sociable and um, yeah, I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Stories are better told when they're told by good storytellers. So I'll leave it there. Thank you. Thank you. Ronnie. Thanks for listening and watching. And a friendly reminder to support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan.